Well, good morning to each of you. It is certainly good to be here again. I enjoyed the Sunday school hour. Thank you, Leon, for those thoughts. When I think of faithfulness, I often think of the parable of the talents. How God gave some five talents, he gave some three talents, and he gave some, he gave the one man one talent. And as I think about that parable, it's not about the talents that were received. It's about faithfulness with the talent that God gave you. So that's my encouragement to, to all of you here this morning. Thank you for that reminder. I often feel like that man that only has that one talent. I'm still trying to figure out what that is. But to be faithful with the talent that God gave you, that's the importance. That's the importance. You can open your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 2, we'd like to begin. <clears throat> this morning I'd like to think on the subject of marriage. And I trust that the young people would tune me out this morning as we think about marriage because I have a few words that I'd like to share with the young people here in just a moment. So I titled the message this morning, The Becoming of One Flesh the becoming of one flesh. What is your spouse becoming because of you? As I think about marriage, my wife often gets a little on edge when I speak about marriage. <laughs> and, you know, I often think of the, uh, of the fellow. There's a story of a fellow that uh, used to travel the world, travel a lot, preaching on marriage in the home, and, and uh, it, was, it was titled something like uh, um, it was, I forget what he titled it, but it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was uh, marriage and successful marriage and so forth. And then after a few years, this man had a few children. And uh, he continued to travel, but maybe not quite as much. And, and, uh, but he retitled his messages to some suggestions, how to raise a family and how to do marriage. And then a few children later, he continued maybe to speak, but uh, not quite as much. <laughs> and he retitled his messages to feeble hints to fellow strugglers. <laughs> and so that's maybe a little how I feel here this morning, thinking about marriage. We don't have it all together. <laughs> and it uh, seems like a subject like this is maybe should maybe be for the more older folks. But um, I don't believe any of us here have it all totally figured out. There's a story that goes like this I come across. It says, some years ago there was a home-run-hitting home run farm boy that could hit a baseball a country mile. Eventually, one of the major league teams invited him to come to spring training. And each week, the young slugger would text his mother. The first week, he texted and he said, Mom, he said, I'm leading all, he says, I'm leading all batters. These pitchers, you know, they really aren't that tough. And the second week, he boasted to Mom again with another text. It even looks like I'm going to be a starting infielder, a starting infielder. And oh, by the way, he said, I'm now hitting over 500. And if you, don't, if you know anything about baseball, I, I was a sports guy growing up. I played a lot of sports. But that's a really good batting average. He was hitting over 500. 
But he says, on early in the third week, the young man's mother received a text that said, Dear Mom, they started throwing me curveballs. He said, I'll be home on Friday. <laughs> and as most of us know here this morning, to walk committedly through life isn't, one, isn't a one or a two-week hot streak. Rather, walking committedly with God involves the long haul. In church family this morning, it takes a lot of commitment to make a marriage work, to stay committed to one another. It seems like our world too often treats marriage the way of this story. When it gets tough, when life brings us curveballs, we throw in the towel. They don't treat marriage the way they should. So what is my spouse becoming of me? What is your spouse becoming of you? <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, I'd like to read here, verses 18 to 25. This, And the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of, every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought him unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to the cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. And I just try to, you know, when I read scripture, I try to picture things. And I just try to imagine what it was like for Adam at this point of his life. God made all these animals... <coughs> And he brought them to Adam, and he had the privilege of naming all these animals. But there was no one, there was nothing to share life with. And God said that it was not good, and he will make him a helpmeet. I can't help but think that I believe, I believe at this point in life, Adam probably felt alone. I think he probably felt lonely. And verse 21 says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and he brought her unto the man. Oh. Just try to imagine what it was like for Adam in that moment. You know what it's like when you, when you met your spouse, and you... Remember what it was like when I met my girlfriend. Oh, this is a gift that God gave. I believe Adam was probably in awe of this woman that God had made. Verse 23 says, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. <coughs> and so this morning, as I think about this passage of Scripture, I'd like us to consider verse 24 for a moment this morning. And particularly in this verse, it's the word cleave. Cleave to one another. You see, this morning, this word cleave, it means to follow closely. This word cleave, it has the idea of being joined together to keep fast, to pursue hard after, to stick fast, to stick together. It also means to catch by pursuit. 
And so this morning, church family, in your marriage setting, I want to encourage each one of us that we continue to catch by pursuit our spouse. I think it's very important to catch by pursuit. You see, Harold Martin says this according to verse 24. He says, verse 24 is God's statement about the ongoing close relationship that should exist between the man and the woman who take the vows of marriage. It's the ongoing close relationship that needs to exist in a marriage setting. And so you recall, you can think back to the days when you were maybe dating. Maybe some of you are dating still. But I think back in my life and I think about the things that I've done to try to impress. The things that I've done to to catch by pursuit, if you will. And I want to encourage and I want to encourage us to continue to do those things. You see, this morning when we think about marriage, it's the ongoing close relationship that needs to exist in a marriage to make a marriage stick, to last together and forever the way God intended in the first place. See, I can think back in my life, the time when I was in my younger years. One of the things that we enjoyed to do when it was wintertime is we enjoyed to go ice skating. We used to go to our cousin's house and we'd go skating and this one, <coughs> this one particular uh, weekend, we were at our cousin's house and we were going to the neighbor's to go ice skating. And I don't, I'm not even going to say my age. I was pretty young. I'll give myself away. Give myself away. But anyway, there was this, uh, we were playing chain tag that night, and there was this young girl that was trying to catch me until I figured out what was going on. And so, you know, it made me skate all the harder <laughs> to try to get away, right? But yet secretly inside, I was kind of hoping that she would catch me. <laughs> Many years later, you can see she caught me. To catch by pursuit, continue to do the things that you've done years ago to try to impress your girlfriend or your spouse. See, God instituted marriage for our benefit. He instituted marriage for our good and for our fulfillment and for our happiness. You see, this morning there are a lot of good reasons why God established the marriage relationship. As we already mentioned here in Genesis chapter 2, we talked about how, it how Adam must have felt alone. I believe that God instituted marriage. He established the marriage relationship to eliminate solitude and loneliness. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 said, and he says, It's not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Someone to share the joys and the sorrows of life with. And yet it seems in our world today there are so many marriages that are not experiencing the way God intended marriage. They're not finding fulfillment. They're not finding satisfaction and happiness the way God had intended. God established the marriage relationship to, for the propagation of the human race. As it would tell us in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, it tells us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Yet I don't feel like it's a command in Scripture, but I believe it's a blessing. It's a blessing from marriage. And I understand this morning, there are marriages, there are, 
There are couples that would love to have children. And God doesn't bless in that way. And my heart does go out to them. But the propagation of the human race, I believe, is another reason why God established the marriage relationship. Thirdly, is to provide a wholesome release of the sex drive. A wholesome release of the sex drive. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2 says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every woman her own husband. And last night we talked about immorality and the effects it has on a marriage when we're unfaithful. How it leaves bitter scars and bitter, bitter memories and scars that last forever. A wholesome release this morning of the sex drive. Fourthly, I feel like the marriage is to be a picture of a spiritual marriage. I believe our marriages are to be a reflection this morning of Christ in the church. This relationship is to, is, is to illustrate the way that we are a part of the body of Christ. We can read there in Ephesians chapter 5. Our marriage is to be a reflection of Christ's love for the church. Are we demonstrating that kind of a picture for the world to see. You see, our world is in desperate need of homes and marriages that would demonstrate to the world the love of Christ in that way. And fifthly, is to instruct children in the ways of God. And we desperately need that. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And this morning I feel it puts tremendous responsibility on parents to demonstrate godliness so that we could teach our children. And church family this morning, how can we teach our children the importance of godliness if we don't practice it in our own lives? How can we teach our children the importance of clean lips if we continue to use profanity and so forth? How can we teach our children the importance of going to church if we continually uh, don't go to church when church doors are open? You see, I think it's very important, and there's a burden on my heart. It seems in the world that we live today, there's more and more people that are not wanting to be commit, being committed to the church body. And there's so many people that are, and the Bible tells us that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. And we see that day approaching. And I think we need to, we need to take heed, and we need to give importance to church life. Because we need this. We need to come together. But how can we teach our children the importance of church life if we continually uh, don't go to church when the church doors are open? So there's a lot of good reasons why God established the marriage relationship. But this morning there's also things that can hinder and tear a marriage apart, such as selfishness, someone that's always insisting in getting their own way. And church family, this morning we need to learn to work together. We need to learn to, to give and to take. The Bible teaches us, I believe it's there in Philippians chapter 2, it tells us that we are supposed to give preference to others. Give preference to other people. Give preference to our spouse. We used to. Can we continue to do that in our marriage relationship? I believe a second thing that tears can hinder and tear a marriage apart as sexual unfaithfulness and failure to guard marital fidelity. 
It leaves scars, ugly scars, and bitter memories that last for a long time. Even pornography, as we talked about last evening. I believe it's something that tears apart marriages. And it leaves ugly scars that last for a lifetime. Thirdly, this morning, careless habits of spending money. it's, It's amazing to me how often marriage struggle because they have careless habits of spending money. When a spouse is irresponsible with their finances. And fourthly, I believe another thing that can hinder a marriage (coughs) is an overcommitment to work. And sometimes even an overcommitment to ministry. Failing to reserve time for each other. You see, quality time is very important. And sometimes I feel like we put the great commission ahead of the great commandment. That great commandment, I believe Leon had already mentioned this morning, says to go ye therefore and teach all nations and baptizing them and so forth. That, that great commission. But then somehow we neglect that great commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves. And while we might not think this morning that our wives and our children are our neighbors, they're the ones closest to us. But church family, this morning I beg you that we don't put the great commission ahead of the great commandment. I think it's very important. There's a lot of people that are involved in so many things, even good things. And they neglect their family at home. So this morning, I'd just like to take a few moments. And I'd like to share just a few words with some of the young people here this morning. See, young people, outside your decision to accept Christ as your personal savior, the right choice of a marriage partner is probably the most important decision that you will ever make. And probably this morning you ask the question, how can I know if I'm in love with the right person? Or how can I make sure that I find that right person? You know, this morning, I'm not sure that there's an exact formula that can answer this question totally. But I'd like to give a few suggestions for us to consider, for the young people to consider. Number one is that your association with your special friend should leave you with a feeling that you've been lifted to a higher spiritual level. I think it's that important. See, I'm a father of five girls, and I know their desires. And my wife and I, we prayed for many a years that there would be some godly men that would notice my daughters. And this morning, I can stand before you and say that I'm proud of the guys that my daughters have chosen. They're godly men, and that's most important. Your special friends should should lift us to a higher spiritual level. And I beg you young people to make sure the special friend is a godly person. It's so important. And secondly, this morning, and you might think this is very elementary, but I feel like it's important that we don't have a desire to court other people, to court another person. There should be a we feeling between the two of you. 
You see, the reason I think it's so important is because young people sometimes they feel a lot of pressure, a lot of peer pressure, because all their other friends are dating and have a special friend. They, too, want to have a special friend. So don't cave to the peer pressures. There shouldn't be a desire to court other people. There should be a desire to meet each other's families, their parents, their brothers, their sisters, their relatives, and so on. Fourthly, there needs to be a respect for each other's convictions and their moral standards. It should be more important than his or her physical attraction. You see, this morning, true love can survive without physical attraction. True love can survive without physical attraction. Fifthly, separation for a period of time should cause loneliness. You know, I think of my own life, there's times when my wife and I may be separated for a period of time. Maybe I go away for a couple of days. But it, it creates this desire to be together again that should take place in our lives with our special friend. Sixthly, you should hurt when your special friend is hurting or when your special friend is criticized. You will hurt when your special friend is hurt. There will be a desire to defend and support your special friend. You see, it reminds me of a story many years ago. <coughs> I already mentioned that I used to play a lot of sports. We used to, I used to play a, quite a bit of volleyball when I was younger. And there was, a, there was one Friday night, I believe it was a Friday night, we were playing volleyball. I played in the league down there at Ephrata. Also at Hinkletown, we played some, I don't know if any of you played volleyball. We played a lot of volleyball. And this one particular evening, I happened to sprain my ankle. I was jumping up at the net. I was trying to block somebody that was trying to spike. And I come down and I landed on somebody else's foot and I twisted my ankle and it was those where I could actually, I felt it kind of snap. I felt something, it didn't feel good and it put me in a lot of pain. I ended up crawling off the court and uh, the volleyball stopped, you know, and everybody was around there and my girlfriend at that point happened to be there. And uh, see, she... <laughs> She comes walking over, and she was standing there beside me. And we were trying to, you know, whatever, what, what are we going to do? And all of a sudden, my girlfriend went, eww, splat. And she fainted, face first on the concrete floor. I thought, oh, my. So they ended up taking us both to the emergency room. What's wrong with you? Well, I sprained my ankle playing volleyball. What's wrong with you? Well, my boyfriend, he heard him saying, <laughs> I was pretty sure she was the right one. <laughs> you will hurt when, you, when your special friend is hurt. And seventhly, if God would ever bless your future home with children, you should desire your children to have the same character and the same attitude that your special friend has. I think it's safe to say here this morning that most of the young people have a desire to get married, to have a family one day, devoted wife, husband, 
and children that obey, that are a joy to live with. And God's word gives instructions. And it starts with courtship and dating. The price to pay for this kind of family is obedience to God's principles. But the problem is, is that far too many people are not willing to pay that price. It's what we long for. It's what we want. And it starts with courtship and dating. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I'd like to read, begin reading here at verse 23 to the end of the chapter. And if you don't mind, why don't we stand to read, shall we? Let's stand to read the scripture, Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put, in the, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness... And this is what we need to do. Verse 23, we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. That we put on the new man, which, God, which, after, God is cre- which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And I realized this morning this is maybe not the particular Uh, Maybe this is not the passage of Scripture that's often used on marriage, but I think we can apply it to our relationships here this morning. He talked here about speak the truth with his neighbor. Again, our spouses and our children, our families, maybe are not our neighbors, but they're the ones that are closest to us. Verse 26 says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which are the things which is good, that he may have to give to him that, need, that to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of the edifying, that it may be that it may minister grace unto the hearer. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed, you are sealed unto the day of redemption. <coughs> <coughs> Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You may be seated. This morning from Ephesians chapter 4, I'd like to give you five guidelines that I believe will produce harmony in a marriage. Produce harmony in our marriage, something that will help us, something that will help a marriage to stick and to last. And number one is always tell the truth. Always tell the truth one to another. Verse 25 tells us, wherefore put away, speak the truth. Speak the truth with your spouse, brothers and sisters. And you might be sitting here this morning, you feel like this isn't something that you don't I want to challenge us to be honest people, to always tell the truth. You see, this morning, lying is deception. Lying is a misrepresentation of the truth. 
exaggeration. It's untruthfulness. It is said that lying does at least three things. Number one, lying camouflages and it hides the truth. Camouflages and it hides the truth. You see, the person that is being lied to doesn't actually know the truth. Have we ever done that? Camouflage and hide the truth? Secondly, this morning, lying is deception. A person will use deception to get his or her, his or her own way. A person uses deception to cover, up his, to cover up or hide something, especially if they don't want their spouse to find it out. Deception is also used sometimes to harm and to hurt other people. Lying camouflages and hides the truth. Lying is deception. And thirdly, this morning, lying destroys confidence. Lying destroys confidence, assurance, security, love, trust, and yes, it even, and it even destroys hope. See, I remember some years ago, my wife was walking beside this individual that came to her because she was hurting, because her husband said a lie. And she was struggling to find confidence. She was struggling to find assurance, security, and love in her husband again. You see, that's what happens when we lie to our spouse. It destroys that, and we need to try to gain it back. And so I encourage us this morning to try to live as people that are honest and always tell the truth. In order to produce harmony in our marriage, live a life of honesty and truthfulness. Secondly, this morning, as you think about your marriage, verse 6, it tells us to control our anger. This morning, I encourage us to control our anger. I feel like the Bible recognizes that, that we do sometimes become angry at times in our life. But we are to guard against sinning when we become an angry person. It is said that anger will cause us to either react by lashing out and hurting others, or else it will motivate us to correct injustice and right the wrongs that are done. You see, this morning, there is a right anger, or what, we may be or what may be classified as a justified anger. But this morning, a justified anger is an anger when someone else sins, or when someone else is, or when someone else is selfish and unjust in their behavior. But this morning, I suggest that a justified anger is always controlled and disciplined. Verse 26 and, verse, and 27 says, Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. This morning, I encourage each one of us that we never go to bed with unresolved issues in our marriage. We, we shouldn't go to bed that way. You ever go to bed at night where you, I mean, maybe you naturally sleep with your back toward, uh, towards each other, but you know what I mean. That's not the way we are to go to bed. We're to try to work it out. Work it out. Work it out. Try to come to some kind of an understanding in our marriage. Control our anger. Thirdly, this morning, don't steal from your spouse. Don't steal from your spouse. You're thinking, Pastor, what do you mean by not stealing from my spouse? Verse 28 says... Verse 28 says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his own hands and so forth. 
don't steal from your spouse. This morning, this stealing, I believe it involves burglary and shoplifting. But I feel this morning like it involves way more than that. You see, we can steal time from our spouse. Stealing time from my spouse, time that, that you promised to him or to her. And we use it for our own ambitions. We can steal our spouse's trust. You see, I could take a secret or something that my wife shared with me and I could use that thing against her and get miles out of it. We can steal her trust. And thirdly, this morning, we can steal joy from each other. We can steal joy from our spouse when we put one another down in front of others. Brothers and sisters, this morning, it breaks my heart there are marriages that I can think of standing here this morning when I hear the spouses putting one another down in front of other people. Brothers and sisters, this ought not to be. We are to be lifting one another up, to be encouraging one another, not stealing their joy in this kind of a way. Don't steal from your spouse. And fourthly, put away worthless communication. Verse 29 it says, let no corrupt commun communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. Fourthly, this morning, put away worthless communication. James 3 says, he that offends not in word the same as a perfect man. I don't even remember where I read this, but I, I read this um, considering our communication. It says that when we communicate with someone, actually only 7% of that communication is the words that we use. 7% is the actual words that we're using. 38% of communication is the tones of our voice, the tones that we use. Be careful with your tones when we communicate. And 55% is the body language that we use. You see, we can say things without, without actually saying things. We can communicate. We can even use the right words, but we send the wrong signal. I think that's why texting can sometimes not be the best thing. We need to be careful with our texting. We get the wrong message. So not so long ago, not so long ago, we text. We're not that old. So we do some texting. And this happened to be a week that I was studying to preach. And I don't, it often seems like the weeks that I'm preaching, it seems like often that's the week when a lot of things can go wrong. If you know what I mean. Maybe some of you ministers have experienced that. It seems like a spiritual battle that happens. But this particular week, there was a lot of things that were just happening. I don't even remember what they all were. One of the things I remember is that our dryer broke. But my wife was kind, and after so many other things, she chose not to tell me. So Sunday after church, after the message, we were, I was standing in the back in the greeting line, and she told somebody about the dryer, how it, that it broke, and that was the first I heard it. I, I didn't even know it. 
So Monday morning, right, I go to work. And I'm, I'm at work not very long. And my wife texts me, and she says, what about the dryer? <laughs> and I thought she was telling me <coughs> that I should be fixing the, the dryer. And maybe, maybe I should have. It was first thing Monday morning, and I just learned it on, Saturday, on Sunday at church. I texted her back, and I said, well, maybe I should have fixed it on Sunday. <laughs> but sometimes we get the wrong message. You get the point. And we need to be extremely careful. Put away worthless communication. Be careful with the tones of your voice. It is said that the tongue can be used to slice and to dice, but never draw blood. This morning we either assault or we affirm. It's really that simple. Romans 14 verse 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another. It's said that almost 70% of all divorces is a result of bad communication. And I probably believe, I think that's probably correct. Put away worthless communication. Fifthly, this morning and in closing, Exercise love and forgiveness one for another. Verse 32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted and forgiving one another. Be kind to one another. It means to be gentle, to be caring, to be helpful, courteous, and good, to be useful. Showering favors upon each other. Be kind one to another. Be tender-hearted. It has the idea of showing compassion. Be merciful one to another. Be understanding one to another. It means to be aware of a person's hurts and their sufferings. To be, to be aware of their problems and their difficulties. And to be aware of both their physical and their spiritual needs. Be kind, be tender-hearted, and be forgiving. Be gracious one to another. Give some room for some wrongs that are done. It will happen. And we need to extend grace, mercy, and forgiveness one to each other. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, <clears throat> a couple of verses here I'd like, to, I'd like to share. 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 6, we have this account where it says, sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. And from what I would understand from this passage of Scripture, we would go back to 1 Corinthians, and there was an individual that was actually put out. He was excommunicated, if you will. He was put out of the congregation, out of the church, because of sin that was in his life. And I believe that was a, a correct thing to do. But here the Apostle Paul picks up, and he says, Sufficient to such a man is this punishment. This punishment now has been sufficient. 
Verse 7 says, So that contrarywise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up over much sorrow. Wherefore I beg you that you would confirm your love towards him. That word confirm means to reaffirm your love to him. They were, they were, the Apostle Paul was calling this church body, was calling this body of believers to reaffirm their love to this individual. This morning, I wonder, is it time for me, is it time for you to reaffirm your love for one another? What is my spouse becoming because of me? There's a saying of a farmer that looked out across the pond in his meadow. See, all his geese became swans. All of his geese became swans. It's kind of a nice touch. I wonder this morning, what is your spouse becoming because of you. I brought along this some years ago. I used to install floor covering. I used to, I actually used to work for Ray. My wife continues to pack my lunch today. Every day I go to work, she packs my lunch. And one day, I was installing flooring. I believe it was, I don't remember where it was, but I was installing Luan plywood. I sat down to eat lunch that day, and my wife packed a special dish in my lunch, my favorite dish. And as I sat there, I reached over and I grabbed a piece of Luan and I wrote her a little note. And I stuck it in that dish to tell her I appreciated it. Yummy, sweet pea. That's what I wrote. It's pretty romantic, isn't it? <laughs> but it was just enough to let her know that I appreciated what she did. The reason I share that with you this morning is to tell you that you never know what a little love note can do, what a surge of affection can do to a marriage that is just longing for affirmation and love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful for the gift of marriage. Thank you, God for your instructions and how that can be possible. Lord, how we can make a marriage last. God, you know each person here. You know each marriage setting. God, I pray you will help us. Lord, to be a reflection to the world with our family settings, with our marriages. Demonstrate to our children love it helps them feel secure 
Bless this congregation in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't think I'm going to have an altar call this morning, but I want to encourage you. As church leaders, sometimes we work with couples, and it breaks our hearts. And I just want to encourage you to put your best foot forward and being the people that God called you to be. This time, I'll turn the time over to Drew, I believe it is.